So if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. This is a, a psalm that I love to go to in difficult seasons, trials. Psalm 42, verse 1, and this is the word of the living God. Take heed how you hear it. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Father, we do come now into your presence to sit under your word, and we pray that you might satisfy the longing of our soul. We pray that you might fill and re- replenish. Pray that you might restore, that you might feed and nourish your church. Pray that your presence this morning would be sweet, would be, would be felt, would be near. Uh, help us, God, to draw near to you as you draw near to us. I pray that you would please, for a time here, just help us all to lay aside distractions, plans, everything. And just look to you, hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is an interesting psalm. As you see in the uh, subscript there, it says to the choir, that's the, the, the words above the first verse. It says to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. So me being a, a simple kind of guy, you know, I always just read that and assumed this psalm was written by the sons of Korah. Maybe you have two, maybe not. Um, but as I looked at some of the some of the older guys that I like to turn to, especially for the Psalms, namely Spurgeon and uh, William Plummer, both of them consider this a Psalm of David. Um, those subscripts are there for the liturgy. It, it even has a footnote in the ESV where it says the word mascal, that this is a liturgical or musical term. Uh, this is often a cue for the worship leader, if you will. These Psalms were used, sung. It, in temple worship, tabernacle worship in the Old Testament. And uh, they saw this psalm as one of the times when David was in exile, unable to return to Jerusalem because it was not safe. He was being hunted, basically, uh, multiple occasions, unable to return to the tabernacle and worship in God's special presence with the people of God. And that his soul is parched longing for that corporate worship again. I don't know that we can make that case definitively from the text, but it does seem to point to that. What we can see here clearly in this passage is that the psalmist is longing for the presence of God. And that's my first point, longing for His presence. You can hear in His words a deep desire for the presence of God. Let me read that those first two verses again. As a deer plants pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You can hear just this longing for the Lord. Nothing else will satisfy his weary soul. And I think that picture that our mind has here is so vivid, the illustration that is used of a deer panting for a drink uh, we, we all living in Oregon know that deer are a bit flighty, right? They jump at the 
at a sound and you, you, you picture a deer that is perceived as being hunted early in the morning and he sprints off through the woods, breaking limbs and branches, flying and bouncing across the forest. And when he finally feels that he's secure and safe, he stops and his tongue is exposed and he's panting and his, you can see his breath in that early morning while there's still dew on the grass, longing to find a brook to relieve his thirst. Or maybe you might picture a man on a deserted island that has walked and walked and walked seeking to find a drink to quench his parched thirst. He, he sees the salt water all around him and it's taunting him because he's so thirsty, but that water just makes things worse. Literally, it is get a drink or die, and his body is communicating that very thing to him. You must find water. And we see that the psalmist today is crying out the same thing for his soul. He is desperate for God, and nothing else in this life will satisfy. Nothing else is able to quench that thirst or that hunger than the very presence of God. His soul is thirsty. And maybe you've come here today and you can hear your heart in the words of the psalmist. That you've come to church today and your soul is empty. It's cold. It's, it's parched. It is not filled as you would like it to be. Maybe it's just life that has beat you down. You've come today knowing that only God will satisfy, but you cannot seem to find that filling, that quenching of the thirst. Maybe you've come to church today longing for His presence, but realizing that you have replaced Him with many other things. Maybe today your life is just so busy. I don't know what it is, but every time I run into someone and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, man, just so busy. I mean, we just cram our lives full of stuff to do. And maybe you're just consumed by tasks and all of the things that you have to accomplish day in, day out, week in, week out. Maybe you're just distracted. Gadgets and gizmos and fascinating things to read and look at and watch and do. Maybe it's your job that you're just consumed by work and you come home and it's on your mind and never seem to get anything done, never seem to accomplish the tasks that you want to accomplish. Maybe it's leisure and you've just found yourself relaxing, lazy, not seeking God's faith, whatever it is, or God's face, whatever it is. You've laid aside the Lord for a season and today your soul is is parched. You can sympathize with the psalmist that I feel empty and I've been unable to replenish or be refilled. Secondly, as we move on, we see the psalmist here clinging to the past. Clinging to the past. Look again at verse 2, about halfway through. He says, When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them 
in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Now, this certainly could be King David. You may remember back in 2 Samuel when he was rejoicing in dancing in praising God, and it was Michal, I think is her name, Saul's daughter. She saw him, what she said, acting like a fool, and she hated him in her heart. She thought he was acting uh, unbecoming of, uh, of a man of God. And I want to read David's response there. Second Samuel chapter 6, I think it's verse 22. He says, I will make myself yet even more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. He wasn't dancing for her. He wasn't doing any sort of spectacle for her, but David was rejoicing in his God and in his king. It says here, I remember when I would lead the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. But today, my tears have been my food. Today, I taste the salt of my tears day and night. He sits alone, struggling, grieving. And you know, when you're in that dark place of the soul, you can be in a room filled with people and feel as if you're the only person in that room, feel alone. And he says, my tears cry out to me, where is your God right now? Where is he in the middle of all of this stuff that I am experiencing? Have you ever experienced that before church? That question might come to mind. Where's, where's God in all this? Maybe it's as you wrestle today with current failings, shortcomings, a fight with your spouse, lose it with the kids, lose your cool at work with a coworker, lash out with some ungodly, unchrist-like words. And those thoughts come into mind, where's where's your God? Have you changed at all? Are you any different than you were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago? Or maybe it's the past. The stuff that you thought was behind you, gone, buried, done away with, seems to somehow get dug up, brought back into your mind. You kind of have to relive that old man that old woman that we so want to forget. And as we have those memories, those thoughts, the question comes to mind, where is your God? Maybe it's wounds from another inflicted upon upon you. Scars that you have carried for years, memories that somehow seem to rear their ugly head at the most opportune time just to beat you down and discourage you. And your flesh says, where is God in all of this? We see the psalmist is clinging. He's holding on to these past memories. I remember a time when I rejoiced in the Lord. I remember a time when it was shouts and songs of praise. He led the throng, the procession, into the house of God, into the temple. Those were the glory days, if you will. 
But now it's just tears and bitterness. Maybe you're here today and you might again sympathize with the psalmist. That those days when you had joy in your heart for Christ, those days when your spirit felt alive, when you lived every day for Jesus, they feel like distant memories. Years gone past, days gone past. You look back on those good days when your spirit seemed to be so alive, but today it's tears, you, you feel cold, distant from the Lord. Maybe there's bitterness in your heart. You've, you've, you've been hurt by people. Maybe even in the church. Open yourself up. And people break our trust, damage us, gossip, all the stuff that happens when sinners mingle with sinners. We see his response here in verse 5, and that is number 3. He is preaching to the soul. Preaching to the soul. And church, this is a practice that we need to take up. Rehearsing gospel truth to our own souls. We are leaky vessels. The truth comes in and it is amazing and transforming and it just leaks right out of the bottom and we're back with our head hung low. It's like that proverbial wicker basket. You try to fill it up and you can put in and in and in, but it's always just flowing out of the bottom. Look at verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul. I picture him kind of looking at himself. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sometimes, church, the reality is this is all that we have. God feels distant feels that it, like His countenance has turned away from us. All that we experience in life seems to be a frowning providence from the Lord, trial after trial after trial. Our souls grow weary, cold, and parched. They cling to the dust. Our experience fails us. Our feelings fail us. And all we have to stand on is God's objective truth even when we don't feel it and he preaches to his own soul why are you downcast why are you at turmoil i am a child of the living god adopted as a co-heir with jesus all the rights and privileges of a real son I am seated in heavenly places today. Now, positionally, my citizenship is in heaven and I have a seat at his table. No longer an enemy, but sitting down, having table fellowship. My sin, oh, my sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. It is buried in the pit of the ocean, gone. I have been robed in the beautiful, righteous robes of Jesus Christ, covering that 
scarlet, blood-red sin of my life. I have eternal rest for my soul. Not now, not in 50 years, for eternity. My soul is now at rest. I've been set free from the burden of the law, trying to live up to its perfect standard. And I've been set free from the bondage of my own sin. The shackles have been removed and Jesus Christ has busted open those prison doors. There is no condemnation for my sin. Not a single drop or speck of condemnation comes my way from Jesus Christ. If I feel condemnation, it is only my flesh or my enemy. I have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified by my God. It is as certain as it is already taken place that I will be glorified. He is the propitiation for my sin. That satisfactory sacrifice offered to God, quenching His wrath that was mine. No one can bring a charge against me because I am one of His elect. No thing can separate me from His love. Not the sword, not pain, not even death. He works all things for my good. All things. Suffering, death, tragedy, rejoicing, celebration. Everything is for my conformity to His Son. And He always lives to make intercession for my soul. Jesus Christ prays to His Father on my behalf. And He loses None, zero that come to Him, and He raises all of them up on that final day. He calls me brother and friend. He has given me His Spirit. He is now, right now, though Lord, it's hard to see, transforming me from one degree of glory to another. He is working His eternal purpose in my life. And He will one day present me and you, beloved, spotless and without blemish to Himself. He has saved me from the wrath to come and has given me eternal life. I, a wretch like me, I know God. And God knows me. Beloved, we need to preach these truths to our soul. We need to daily rehearse gospel truth. Because we are leaky vessels. Oh, excuse me. Number four, we see the psalmist living. Living by faith. In this point, it's all he has. My soul, verse six, is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
He has felt the breakers and the waves of this life, the trials, the strife, the pain, the difficulty that we all experience living life in a fallen world. And he looks to God and he says, your waves, your breakers have crashed over me. I remember a time when I was young, eight, nine years old. This would have been in the late 80s. And we were in Oceanside in San Diego County down in California. And I was out in the water with no boogie board or anything, just kind of messing around. And there was a strong undertow. I'm sure you've experienced this. If you've been in the ocean before and I was out there and a, and a wave would come and kind of, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm coming in. And as soon as you try to come back in, you're sucked out a little bit and hit with another wave and hit with another wave and hit with another wave. And we were there with some friends. Our neighbor, um, my, my aunt took us, but our, our neighbor's dad was there. And I just remember this picture in my mind that he had on jeans and a long sleeve, kind of like, kind of like Matt, what Matt's got on. But I think he had a flannel on. This was the 80s. He's wearing his flannel, Levi's. And I'm like, ah, you know, kind of, kind of floundering out there. And this guy just jumps in, fully clothed, comes in and rips me out of the water. But that same feeling, maybe you experience that, that it feels like another wave, another breaker. I'm seeing some light. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a breath of fresh air. And then here comes another one tumbling over. And he prays. The only prayer that he has to pray my God, my rock. He does not forget God. He knows that He is His God, but He says, why have you forgotten me? Have you prayed that prayer, church? God, it seems like you are just not here. Why this trial right now? Why? What are you doing in the midst of this why me? Why does it seem like the righteous or the wicked flourish? They do as they please. I'm trying to serve you. What is your purpose in all of this? What is your plan? I cannot see what you could be doing good here. Why her? Why now? Why him? Why? Maybe that's your prayer today, even now. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of trials, God seems distant. Your heart has gone cold, bitter even, frustrated. Church, I do not presume upon the purpose of God. I do not claim to have the answer as to why. But I can say this with certainty. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. He is at work. <laughs> as difficult as it seems, He is at work right now. Your foes may be many. Your afflictions may be overwhelming. But He, I, I just got to keep hitting on this, He prays for your soul. That your faith would be preserved. That you would be protected. And that you would continue to be purified. That was the sermon I was supposed to preach. He always lives to make intercession for His saints forever. He is at the right hand of the Father pleading on your behalf. 
Remember, this is the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after that one stray. See, when we're weak and we're weary, we often think that God's working with the good people. They have it all figured out. Why is their faith always so solid? They just trust the Lord in all things. They don't even, they're not even phased. And I'm over here broken and weary. God wants to deal with them. I'm just kind of a, a black sheep. No, he came for the destitute. He came for the sick, not the righteous. He comes for the sinner that is desperately in need of repentance and restoration. He has not forgotten you, beloved. He has not cast you aside. He comes for those that are weary. He comes for those that are weak, that are broken, that are sick, that need to be healed. That's why he gave his life. Lastly, number five, we see him standing on the truth. Basically rehearses the same thing he said earlier. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Verse 11. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. You hear the psalmist here, after all of the wrestling, after all of the hurt, the anguish, his enemies prevailing against him, tears flowing day and night, they've been his food, his flesh is wondering, where is my God in all of this? He goes back to this simple truth. I will again praise him. I will praise him my God, because He is worthy of praise. Even in the storm, even in the trial, even in the dark place of the soul, there is one that is absolutely worthy of praise. He says that He is my salvation and my God. I want to think about that for a moment, church. He Himself is your salvation. Now, Christ did not come and pay a great bounty for your redemption. He did not come and do a bunch of things externally so that you could be saved. He gave Himself. He died. He gave His own flesh, His own body. He handed Himself over to murderers that wanted to destroy Him so that you could be set free from your sin. So that you could be delivered from the bondage and oppression of our sinful nature. Beloved, He has been given to you. He is the treasure. He is the prize. All the other stuff it's just icing on the cake. As the psalmist says, my salvation and my God, I will again praise Him. As another breaker rolls over his head, as another wave crashes up against him, he reminds himself, I will praise my God. He has shown himself faithful time and time and time again. So church, if you have come here today weary, dry, 
parched, thirsty, empty, beat up by the world, beat up by your flesh, beat up by the devil. Or maybe it's because you would admit that I've pushed God out for a while. I just got a lot of stuff going on and God has been on the back burner, but I'm paying the consequence today. I see that my life is not where I would hope that it would be. My soul is in, is in an impoverished state. I got one simple exhortation for you. Hope in God. Now that might seem cliche. That might seem kind of too simplistic. But I mean those words. Hope in God. Do not hope today in your circumstances. Whether they may change or whether they will not. Is this going to get better? Am I going to get delivered out of this trial? Is it ever going to end? He may deliver you tomorrow, and there may be another trial coming around the corner next week, or He may tarry and leave you in this season the rest of your life. Our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in how we feel today. Our hope is in God. Who He is and what He has done for sinners. Our hope cannot be in our physical health. Am I going to get better? Is this thing going to be fixed? We pray to that end, certainly. But our hope is in God. Our hope is not in Him or her, other people whether they might change. Are they ever going to come around? Is she ever going to hear the words that I tell her? Is she ever going to stop doing this? Is he ever going to stop doing that? Is he ever going to respond? Lord, our hope is not in those around us, their behavior, the way they treat us even. Our hope has to be anchored in God Himself. Because when everything else fails, when those that love us the most turn our back, when all of this stuff and this life that we've built up and found security in comes crashing down, God will be there. God will be by your side. So church today, cast your burdens upon Him. As the, as the verse says, because He cares for you. I think sometimes we have, we have the, a tendency to be stuck in the same rut for the thousandth time and we almost feel guilty to go to God. Here I am, upset about the same thing, Lord. Stuck in the same thing, back in the same sin, back in the same attitude of my heart. But He says, come to Me when you are weary. Come to Me when you are heavy laden and I will give you, not a burden, I will give you rest. Church, you will again praise Him because He is worthy of praise. As the psalm said, He, Christ, is your salvation. And He will sustain His saints. Amen.